Now, normally you would expect twins to share the same surname and have different first names. Not so the Jim twins. Uh, Jim Springer and Jim Lewis are actually twin brothers, but what happened was that they got separated at birth, adopted into separate families, and by sheer coincidence, these twin brothers were given the same first name by their respective families. However, when these two Jims eventually met each other for the very first time at the age of 39, the fact that they shared the same first name was almost the least remarkable similarity between them. Because despite growing up in different homes with different families for almost 40 years, when they finally met, the parallels between these twins were just a little freaky. Apart from some obvious physical similarities, both Jims had pet dogs as children, no surprise there, but both men had actually given their pet dog the exact same name, Toy. Both men were married twice. Both men first married women named Linda, and then when that marriage didn't work, they both married women named Betty. Both men had children, including sons, who they both named James Allen. Both men lived in the only house on their block. Both men were chain smokers of the exact same brand of cigarette. Both had woodworking shops in their garages. Both men drove the same model and colour car. Both men worked as part-time sheriffs. It's all a little bizarre, really. But it's made the Jim Twins famous as examples of just how far-reaching family traits, family resemblances can be, albeit to extreme measures with these guys, but they nevertheless illustrate how certain family traits, certain preferences just can't help but sometimes come out in us. There are some family traits which just seem irrepressible. And no matter who you're with and no matter where you are and no matter how you've been brought up, these traits will show themselves. Now, I'm mentioning all this because last week the Apostle John basically said the same thing about us as Christians and the family traits that we have. Last week it was all about how as followers of Jesus Christ we've become the children of God. And part and parcel of that is that we share certain family likenesses which just can't help but come out in us. Last Sunday, John explained that as God's children, we share this family resemblance of not continuing to sin. So no matter who we're with, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been brought up, no matter if you're a Christian growing up in Dubbo or a Christian growing up in Dubai, we're going to have the same family trait of doing what is right. Because no one of God will continue to sin. God's seed remains in them. You can't go on sinning. We've been born of God. Now, we were told all that last Sunday. But John's not finished yet with this whole idea of being one of God's children and, as a result, having certain family likenesses. And so this morning, in today's passage, John goes on to list off a second family trait that also exists in us. 
A second family resemblance, as well as not sinning, a second family likeness that we share with Jesus. So look at how last week's passage finished. Go back and look at the very last verse from last week. Chapter 3, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who doesn't do what is right is not God's child. Now remember that? That was what last week was all about. As God's children, our family resemblance is we don't sin. So whoever doesn't do what is right, well, they're not God's child. But look at what the verse goes on to say. I was a bit naughty last week and I ignored it. I left it to today because it's actually how the verse sets us up for this morning's passage. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who doesn't do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, did you hear that last phrase? That is the second family likeness that John wants us to now get our heads around. Loving our brothers and sisters. And that's what this morning's passage is all about as John goes into a bit more detail about it. Firstly, by stating a message. Secondly, by giving a couple of examples of that message. And thirdly, by spelling it out in a really practical way. That's the way the passage fits together. That's how it flows on from last week. We've got now a second family trait of being one of God's children. And it's firstly stated, illustrated, then applied. Firstly, it's stated, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Friends, notice the word choice in that verse. John refers to the idea of loving one another not as a command here, but as a message you've heard from the beginning. In other words, this statement to love one another, it's not so much an order to his readers to start doing it, it's a reminder to them to keep doing it. Which I know sounds a little bit like splitting hairs, but we need to appreciate the tone here. Because just like last week and the whole not sinning thing, this week and the whole loving each other thing, John's not wanting us to send us on a guilt trip with this 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 morning. He's simply wanting to enthuse us to keep doing it because of who we are. And so when he says we should love one another, that's like saying, well, birds should fly. And dogs should bark and fish should swim. It's simply stating what they're like and what they do. That's us as God's children and love. It's just, it's just what we're like. It's what we do. We're not being told anything here that we don't want to do. We're being reminded to do what in our hearts of hearts we want to. We love each other. And notice the emphasis is on one another here. I realise that as Christians we also love our neighbours and Jesus even talks about loving our enemies and as true as all that is, the focus here though is on loving the others in this room. Here the focus is on loving other Christians. Because remember back at verse 10, loving our brothers and sisters in God's family, that's the sign of who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. And so once again, no matter who we're with, And where we are, no matter if you're a Christian growing up in Dubbo or a Christian growing up in Dubai, genuine Christians everywhere have the same family trait of not just doing what is right, but loving one another. There's a sense in which we just can't help but doing it. We are, after all, the children of God. How great is that? But back to the passage. And so as to make the point even more strongly, this gets reinforced by... uh, uh, 
John illustrating it with a couple of examples. The first is a bloke from the Old Testament named Cain, who turns out to be an example not to follow. Okay, Verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, some of you might remember the story of Cain and his brother Abel from the Old Testament. Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. So we're going back a fair way here, back to Genesis 4. But despite being brothers, Cain hated Abel. The reason was because Cain had accepted Abel's sacrifices, but not Cain's. Now, Cain had no one to blame but himself for this. The reason God didn't like Cain's sacrifice was because it was a pretty pathetic little one. Uh, Cain's sacrifice showed (coughs) that he didn't really think much of God and he didn't really care, uh, want to go to too much trouble or expense for God. So God rejected it. You do realise God is not a beggar, don't you? Please, please don't tell me you're tossing God the leftovers from your life and somehow think that he's going to be thankful for the scraps. He's the creator and sustainer of all the universe. But back in Genesis, Cain offered up a rubbish sacrifice. It got rejected. But his brother Abel, on the the other hand, he handed up a more costly sacrifice because God was important to him and so God accepted that one. All of which led to Cain being jealous of Abel and eventually hating him and eventually killing him. Even though the heart of the problem was that Cain didn't value God, rather than address that issue between him and God, Cain took it out on his brother. And so in the words of John, because Cain belonged to the evil one and not God, Cain murdered his own brother. John's point's pretty obvious here. We don't belong to the evil one, like Cain did. We belong to God. Remember, we're the children of God. So Cain is not the example we follow. Even though the world might think we're pretty weird, we love each other. Verse 13, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we are passed from death to life because we love each other. See again, loving each other, it's the sign that we're different to the world. It's the sign that we're God's children. It's the sign that we've passed from death to life. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You feeling the point here? People like us who are the children of God, okay? People like us who have eternal life residing in us. People like us who do value God. We don't hate our family. We love the others in the room. And therefore, rather than being like Cain who did hate his family, the the example we follow is that of Jesus. Because he loved his family. He loved his brothers and sisters. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, the contrast between Jesus and Cain could not be greater. Cain dishonoured God, which led to jealousy, which led to the taking of his brother's life. Jesus honoured God, which led to love, which led to the giving of his own life for his brother and sisters. And that reference to Jesus laying down his life for us, that's of course a reference to his death on the cross, isn't it? 
That when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking the punishment of our sin and sacrificing himself in our place. I discovered during during the week that in baseball, there's such a thing as a sacrifice hit. I never knew that before, but it came up in the news because a player in the US was being praised because his team had won after he'd made a sacrifice hit, which was basically a hit where you deliberately hit the ball so that you'll certainly get out yourself, but for the sake of getting some others home, you do it anyway. And they were saying it's quite unusual for players nowadays to be that selfless. That's what Jesus did for us on a grander scale. It wasn't in a game of baseball. He gave up his life so that we could become the children of God. It's an extraordinary act of sacrifice. And verse 16 points out, that's love. Okay? That's what we do for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our family trait. Selfless, sacrificial love for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Friends, this is not a hard lesson for us to understand this morning. In God's family, we love our brothers and sisters. It is one of, if not the most distinctive family trait we have. We are not like Cain. We are like Christ. We love our family. And it all finishes in the passage with a very clear, practical application about what to do this week as a result. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Friends, I don't think I can say things any more clearly than verse 18. That is how to apply this morning's passage. Physically look at the words on the page or on the screen. Dear children, do not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In other words, it's not enough, friends, to be sitting out there this morning and nodding your head at all the right places. It's not enough to be sitting out there thinking to yourself, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's right. Loving each other really is. That really is important. Preach it, Bryson. That's not enough. This morning, we've got to get out of our chair, roll up our sleeves, and actually do things for one another. Because I don't know about you, but my heart can be very fickle at times. And I can trick myself into believing that thinking something is virtually the same as doing it. And so, for example, you know, I think that evangelism is important. I think it's important that other people uh, get to hear about Jesus. And, and because I think that's important, that's almost the same as doing it and it almost excuses me from actually talking to my friends about Jesus. Hey, I, I think, at least I know it's important. That sort of mindset is way off the mark of how God sees things. 
Thinking something alone is not enough. We don't just love in words. We don't just simply promise someone that we'll pray for them and then forget about it. It's actions that confirm who we are. It's actually doing stuff and not just thinking things. That's the family likeness we live out. So here's an idea. Let's actually do some things this week. In fact, let me make a suggestion. Have a go at doing a new act of Christian love which you've never done before. Because, look, I realise that some of you here are amazing in how you are already loving the others in this room. But this week, just so as to stretch all of us, have a go at doing something new. Something you've never done before as an act of love, maybe for someone that you've never done it for before. So, for example, maybe in the whole time you've been coming to DPC, you have never once helped on the cleaning roster or with morning tea. In all honesty, you have never once done it. Why not show love by looking up whoever's doing it next week or in a couple of weeks' time, ring them up and say you'll do it for them. Maybe you've never had, you've honestly never had someone from church into your home for a meal before. Maybe you have an occasional cuppa, but never a meal. Why not show love by inviting someone this week? Alternatively, you may regularly have people in your home, but it's the usual suspects. It's your friends. Why not show love by inviting someone you've never had before? Maybe from an age bracket you've never had before. You're retired? Invite a young family around for a meal. Or vice versa. Let's have a go at doing something new. Maybe you've never joined a growth group. Why not show love by actually joining one now that the term started and taking an active interest in the other members of that group? Alternatively, maybe you are in a group already, but in all honesty, you're not taking an active interest in the other members of your group. You're irregular, you're often late. Why not show a new act of love by being taking it a bit, giving it a bit more of a priority? Maybe you've never brought anything for supper for your group. Why not have a go at something new? Have you ever given a thank you card or even a gift to those who are out there teaching our children at kids' church or a clag or at mob? Just so to encourage them, so as to thank them. Why not do something new this week? Why not do the child safety training at DPC so that you can be available to help out in those ministries at a short notice? Maybe you've thought about it and you've balked at it because it just seems like a lot of effort. Why not give Ian Bailey a ring and sign up for it? Why not do a new act of love by being available just to help? Is there anyone here at Church at Nine who is an encouragement to you? 
Maybe you don't even know them. But you know enough about them to be encouraged by them. The fact that they're still hanging in there with Jesus despite some really bad stuff they've been through. Maybe it's just someone who's here every week despite their poor health, despite their age, despite battling a young family. Have you ever told them that they encourage you? Why not meet up for a couple and tell them that? Get to know them. Maybe you could give something away. Maybe you've got something at your place that you actually don't use all that much anymore. An appliance, a tool, some furniture. And you know that it would make a big difference to someone else at church. Why not give it to them? In fact, even if you do still use it, why not give it to them anyway? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Are you getting the idea? It's, it's only limited by our imagination. It's the idea of doing something. And I'm suggesting something new. But maybe I know some of you are already ex- exhausted from loving others. Maybe that's not capable. But that's my suggestion. To live out the family likeness of loving one another. Because please, please, don't sing the next song and head out to morning tea merely thinking that loving one another is important. We need to go away and do things. Because if we come back here next week and we actually haven't done anything, well, we haven't been listening and we don't get what this passage is about. Loving one another with actions and in truth, it's what we do. It is our irrepressible family trait. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right isn't God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. I'll pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the wonderful way that you have loved us a way that we often take for granted, but a way that humbles us enormously, that you would give up your only precious son for us. Father, thank you. And we pray that by your word and spirit, you would so work in our lives that that would be the way in which we love each other. Sacrificially, selflessly, in thought, and in action. Amen.